What does the average week look like for you? Sure, it may start with church online on a Sunday morning, but by Monday, can any of us really remember what the sermon was about? We spend so much of our time doing so many things. Keeping our kids entertained when they're stuck at home, finding time to do our work from home, maintaining some sense of normalcy during these times. But most of what we do related to our faith is crammed into about 80 minutes on a Sunday. Did you know that in a week there are 10,080 minutes? If we're spending about 80 of those related to our faith, what are we doing with the other 10,000? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome everybody to the 10,000 podcast. Uh, we're going to bring God into your 10,000. Uh, we're doing this a little bit different today. We're recording this over Skype right now. We are all <laughs> in separate locations, but we're making it work. So it's really exciting that this is a brand new journey for the 10,000 podcast. Yeah, thanks for um, listening today. I know we're, we're probably having some new listeners join in with some of you having more time on your hands or, or being at home more often. We're so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We have a special guest today. Uh, Reza Zadeh, and if you didn't have a chance to join us online on Sunday, um, Reza is the chaplain for the Denver Broncos. He is also, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, He he's on the teaching team, part of the staff for a church down in Littleton. Um, and I met Reza years ago when I was in college at Colorado State University. My wife, Melissa, was part of his college ministry at Timberline Church up in Fort Collins. Um, and so just welcome, Reza. Yeah, thanks so much, bro. I'm thankful to be back with Stapleton Church. And um, Matt, we got I got to give you a go Rams, bro. Yeah, go Rammies. <laughs> go Rammies. Uh, except you you said that you were part of the Rams when they were winning. When well, I was in school, we were not winning. <laughs> I know. Well, they're still the Rams. We still love them, whether they yes. win or not. But I did get to experience some fun years there. Yeah, so Reza, just a, a little bit of update. This podcast, we call it the 10,000 podcast because we all have 10,080 minutes in a week. And a lot of people only bring the spirituality into the 80 minutes they spend on a Sunday um, worshiping together um, with, with their church. And now we're doing that online. But we want to bring God into the full 10,000. Um, so we want to just dive a little bit deeper into your message from Sunday, which was awesome. If you haven't done it, just pause this podcast right now. Go find that in our normal podcast feed or go find it on YouTube. Um, withstand the waves was really impactful for me um, and I hope as you as well and then we're just going to kind of dive a little bit more into how do we can apply that to our lives um, but before we do that we did have some questions that people submitted and sent in so I just want to run through some of those with Reza and the first one is actually from someone in our church that shares um, a similar background to you and I, I think I know that they have a Muslim background and I think it's Iranian as well. So they just kind of wanted to give you a, yeah, wanted to give you a shout out. And they asked, do you have any recommendations here in Denver for good restaurants? Oh man, that's the biggest, um, that's the biggest thing we're missing out here. I grew up in Southern California where kebab houses are everywhere. Um, it's the same in Arizona where I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Persians. Um, Persons like, I mean, Iranians, we like warm weather. Uh, there's not too many of us <laughs> yeah, in, in Colorado. <laughs> I do know, I do know of a place in Westminster, um, that somebody sent me, uh, that somebody sent me a link to. And I think there's one down in the Denver Tech Center area. Um, but I'm not exactly sure where it's at. So 
If you find one, um, would love for you to share one with me. There was one up here in Greeley, uh, Colorado. I live in Fort Collins, and there was one in Greeley, but that shut down a few years ago. So, unfortunately, I don't have many recommendations at all. But if someone wants to start a business, um, we can go ahead and start if we can start a Persian restaurant here pretty soon when things open back up. Uh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That'd be um, fun. So my next question is about your role as a chaplain. So you've been doing that since about 2014, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do as a chaplain, and especially for the Broncos? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so I became the chaplain. I became the chaplain of the Broncos um, at the beginning of the uh, uh, 2017 season. So uh, our coach, we just had a brand new coach. Uh, Vance Joseph was a new coach, and so I kind of came in with that coaching staff. And and as a as a chaplain, really, I, I get to be a I get to be a friend, a confidant, um, a marriage counselor, a personal counselor, a supporter. Um, just someone that comes alongside these athletes. My wife is a co-chaplain with me. And so, um, we, she is not the chaplain's wife. She is a chaplain as well. And so she chaplains, uh, the wives of the players, girlfriends, fiancés. And uh, a lot of what we do is we're kind of in the lives of these athletes. And especially for my wife, I mean, she's got a really vital role because a lot of these women, you know, they're following, they're following their husbands or boyfriends or fiancés from, from city to city. And so when they come to a new city like Denver, they don't have a lot of community. Um, a lot of them have a hard time finding work because they need to be nimble and need to be able to move, you know, at the drop of a hat. So that makes it really difficult. And so my weeks, um, you know, if I start at the beginning of the week, um, this last season, it changes, you know, with different coaching staffs. We had a new coaching staff this last year, so I do adjust to new schedule. So I would go in, like on Tuesdays, I'd go in, and uh, that's kind of a a recovery day for our guys and watching film and a lot of those things. Uh, they'd have Mondays off. And so I would go in on Tuesdays for lunch and I would kind of sit there and I have a core discipleship group of men that, that I disciple. And so we'd gather together on Tuesdays over lunch and hang around and just kind of be a visible, say hello, pray for guys that have been injured, just to really just connect with, connect with some of the guys. On Thursdays, uh, my wife leads a women's Bible study. And uh, so that is done down in the Parker area where most of the players and their wives live down in the Parker Centennial Lone Tree area. And so they gather there and they're going through a book of the Bible together with the wives. And then on Friday mornings would be our players Bible study, our men's Bible study. So we did that for about 45 minutes before all their activities on Friday start. And then Saturday night, the night before games, um, we would have a chapel service. And so obviously for these men that that want to engage in their faith and want to go to church Sundays aren't, they're not able to do that on Sundays. And so we facilitate a service on Saturday nights. And, uh, you know, when I first, even before I became a chaplain, when I was still, when I was still on staff as a, as a pastor, I did a few chapel services for some NFL teams that came to play the Broncos. And, uh, my friend, my friend, uh, Doug Gilcrease, who was a chaplain for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, for 20 plus years, he gave me the greatest advice and he said, Reza, don't even talk about football. Um, these guys don't need to be pumped up. You know, if they need to be pumped up by a chaplain, they're in the wrong sport and they're in the wrong vocation. So really a lot of my messages are very biblical based. It's just teaching the Bible, teaching basics of the faith, a lot of basics of the faith and uh, really taking advantage of some key moments um, to communicate the gospel. Uh, for example, uh, the, the biggest chapel attendance uh, in the NFL is the chapel before the fourth preseason game. And uh, that's almost kind of our, quote-unquote, our Easter. 
um, <laughs> because cuts are being done after that fourth preseason game. And so everybody's coming to chapel, whether it's for a good luck charm or whatever it might be. And so that is the time that we have the most players come to chapel. And so that's kind of the big gospel presentation is, is before that fourth preseason game. So, and then on Sundays at the game, I'm kind of, I'm there, um, at the game. I really don't interact with the players much at all. There's a few players that I pray for and before the game and during warmups, but beyond that, it's just being available if anything happens. And then after the game, um, facilitate the 50 yard line prayer, um, after the game. So, um, in a nutshell, that's what it is this year. Actually, right now we are launching a couples study that my wife and I have been wanting to do. And some of the key couples that we're involved in, we've talked about doing it, but, um, we wanted to start it when OTAs were going to start here in April. And that doesn't look like it's happening obviously in April. So we're starting a online couples Bible study that we'll be launching here in the next couple of weeks. So in a nutshell, that's kind of, that's kind of what we do. Yeah, that's so cool that you get the opportunity to do that. Uh, I just wanted to ask, like, what does it look like being the players being open to spirituality? Because obviously we think of football. I mean, there's <laughs> maybe some historical associations between faith and football, right? These two pillars of society. But yeah. as we move you know, further down the road and, and it seems it would be tough to do that more in, in a increasingly secular environment. Yeah, you know, honestly, like I think here's the big thing, you know, with with what I do. I'm a volunteer, you know, I'm not I'm not paid by the team. Players know that. I come in and I serve. I'm a guest in the organization. I'm thankful for the front office and the people that allow us to come in and minister to the guys that and not everyone wants to engage their faith. And that's 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 okay. You know, that's we're there and we're available for those that that do want to engage engage their faith. Um, but there's this misconception that, you know, football is like, hey, when I go out there every Sunday, we want to just rip the other person's head off or we're out to injure other people. No, that's not really the case. I and mean, these are men that this is their vocation. This is their life. This is their job. And they and they view it as this is their job. This is their work. This is what they do for a living. And so being able to understand, um, though, that their identity is not their sport. And I think for a lot of us, whether we're athletes mm-hmm. or we're engineers or doctors or lawyers or bankers or or um, hold a PhD or whatever, we have such a tendency to align our identity with the letters behind our name um, or the numbers in our bank account and what we do for a living. And so a lot of what I do is help athletes realize your identity is not what you do. Your identity is who you are. And um, that message is true for everyone in society. I just happen to have the opportunity to share that specific insight um, with athletes. But yeah. for the most part, there's a lot of people that grew up with faith. And uh, so this is just a way for them to incorporate their faith in their everyday life. And then there's a lot of people who, you know, they just don't know where else to turn, you know, whether they're about to get cut or look at the end of their career or um, they're very lonely, you know, especially in talking about the women going from mm-hmm. city to city. Mm-hmm. Um, this last, you know, I remember a couple, actually it was a couple of years ago, one of the guys who joined our Bible study, he joined sometime mid mid season. And this was already the sixth city that he was in, um, in just, you know, the short eight weeks of the NFL season. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's kind of a crazy lifestyle. So to be able to have that constant and that consistency, uh, for, for them is, is valuable. Yeah. One of my new neighbors just moved in a couple months ago is a former major league, um, pitcher and, uh, his wife was here too. and, And they moved in just talking with her, how challenging that is. Like she would try to get to know other people. Um, but, 
I mean, just with the season and traveling so much, it's so hard to, to make relationships, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be able to have um, someone like my wife and I, and, and here's the other thing, I think, for a lot of athletes, no matter what what sport they are, especially when you get to the professional level, even some bit in the college, college level, um, people are always asking something of you, you know, whether it's to, you know, come speak or come sign this or come do that or, you know, will you give money to this? And we get to be people in their lives that we're not asking one thing. Like we don't ask anything of them. We're simply here to give a handout, not to have a, not, not to take a handout, but to give a hand and to encourage and to say, Hey, we're not really that impressed by who you are and what you do. Um, but we're just want to come alongside of you and encourage you in your, in your walk and in your faith and specifically your marriage. Um, so we're in such a bizarre time right now. Uh, you yeah. talked about it in your message on Sunday with the coronavirus, with the stay at home order. I mean, everything's being upended right now. And I know listening are some people that really do want to have a spiritual influence on other people. Maybe they're leading a Bible study or a community group. Um, and, and with you now trying to navigate this, how are you doing chaplaincy differently or, or what you're doing with athletes in action? How, how are you uh, adapting to this time that, that maybe some of us could learn from? Yeah, I would say obviously everything's moving online and ministry hasn't stopped. Like that's the that's the coolest thing about yeah. this whole thing for those of us that are in vocational ministry is ministry hasn't stopped. It's just changed and it's morphed a little bit. And I don't think it's morphed for the worst. I mean, I think this is actually kind of cool. Now, obviously, I would love it if we could gather together as churches and worship together and see each other. And, and I tell you what, one of the biggest things I miss is hugging people. I didn't realize how much I love hugging people until I can't hug people. And so I cannot wait to hug somebody else besides my family. Um, <laughs> but I love hugging my family. I don't, I don't mean it that way. I do love them. But, <laughs> you aren't sick of them yet. No, no, no. Absolutely. That's not, that's not the whole thing. But I would say one of the things that I found is how wide open people are to just engaging with each other and in a deep level. You know, I have a businessman who's in my life and, um, you know, before all this really got rolling, we worked out, we work out at Orange Theory together. And um, this is when things first came out. It was like, I don't know if you remember, there was a Tuesday. It was the first Tuesday in March or maybe second, no, second Tuesday in March when it was like every minute there was like something being canceled. And so that was the crazy day. I remember that next day I was at Orange Theory with him and, um, he runs a company that, provides charter buses and for different organizations and stuff. And he was just freaking out, just going, my goodness, what in the world is, is happening. And just to be able to encourage him and to open up in conversation and texted him today and said, bro, I'm just thinking about you. I'm praying for you. If there's any way I can just be a support for you in the midst of all of this, I would love to do that. And, um, you know, last Friday morning, I just kind of put something out last week um, on Facebook saying, Hey, if any business leaders, if you guys want to pray for your business or just, Come be encouraged. We're just going to pray for one another and just pray for business leaders in our community. And I just did that on Facebook and just did it on uh, Zoom, just did a Zoom call and put it on Facebook. We have 35 business leaders, uh, men and women that realtors and business owners and bankers and um, land developers just kind of get together. Mortgage people just kind of get together and we just we just prayed. And it was nothing fancy. It wasn't like long, drawn out prayers. It was, hey, we're just going to read a few scriptures. We're going to spend some time praying for each other. But to see that many people interested in something like this shows me, man, there is a thirst for connection. Mm-hmm. And there's an opportunity to really help people see the Lord in the midst of all of this chaos. Yeah, definitely. Um, just over this last week, I was talking with a small business owner and 
trying to figure out and navigate this tough decision of, of having to let someone go. And I think a lot of people are, are navigating that too. And, and how do you deal with it? Man, it, this business world needs help. I, I made sure, like I set myself a reminder this morning, text that person, see how it's going. Um, yeah. Let them know I'm praying with them because I know, you know, it's the end of the month. They were kind of thinking this would probably be a good time for that tough conversation. Um, what would you say to some people that are like that business leaders that are listening right now or having to make tough decisions for their companies? Um, you know, I would, I would encourage, so wait, so your question is specifically that small business owners trying to navigate that with their companies? Yeah. Leaders. I mean, we, we have people that have employees and they're trying to make yeah. their financial cuts or furloughs. Yeah. Man, those are tough decisions. You know, I, I know a number of business leaders that are needing to make those really hard decisions about furloughing their friends, furloughing their co, their, their, their coworkers. You know, I would say, you know, sometimes decisions, hard decisions have to be made. And, uh, you know, the, the hardest thing for a business owner to do, some people, you know, I think the, the frustrating thing is, in our, thing is in our society, there's this idea that business owners are the enemy. And, you know, whether it's a small business or a large business, and, mm-hmm. and uh, there's almost like this, um, everyone's out to get the workers and the business owners are all the, you know, those are just all the bad guys. Um, I don't know one business owner that has enjoyed um, letting their staff go. I don't know one business owner that has kind of been excited about furloughing their team because on one hand, yes, they might be, you know, saving money or being able to keep the business open. But on the other hand, they're losing team members and they're losing people that serve and bring incredible talent and work. You know, I think I would really encourage business owners, you know, to, to be honest, just to simply be honest and to share even how hard things are. You know, I think, even sitting down and just saying, this is, this is a hard decision. And I'm really wrestling with this. I, I don't like this. Um, it shows the humanity in it. And I think more than anything, people want to be seen. People just want to be seen. They want to be known. And, um, they just want to know that they, they're valued and that they matter and that their emotions, um, matter. Um, I don't know how helpful it is for someone who's lost a job or who has been furloughed to, um, and I want to be careful how I say this. I don't know how helpful it is just to come back and to give them scripture right away and to read Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love him. You know, I think sometimes it's just good for us as believers, um, to just sit in the messiness and to sit in the pain and the sorrow with others, um, rather than try to pull them out right away. And I think the reason we try to pull them out right away is because we're not comfortable sitting in the sorrow with ourselves. And I would say that's something we need to do better as as humans, as as a church, as followers of Jesus, is to really be able to sit in sadness with our brothers and sisters that are going through that without feeling the responsibility of having to fix everything. That's a good word. Yeah, that's super true. Super true. Moving to something a little bit different, um, as we look towards... This whole situation may be coming to an end as a start to return to normal life. How do you think that churches are going to be different after this? Mm. This is a question that we've been thinking a lot about as a yeah. staff. Is like, what do we take from this experience? What do we go back to? What do we change? But would love to hear yeah. your thoughts. You know, I don't know how it's going to change. Um, you know, how should it change? I'll, you know, I think it was like probably like four years ago. Must have been, yeah, must have been, must have been, it was exactly, it was four years ago. And I remember it was the, it was the week of Easter. And I remember looking on Instagram and, 
man, churches had these phenomenal Instagram social media campaigns to get people to Easter. And then on Easter Sunday, I saw all these beautiful posts of, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? photo booths that churches set up for people to take. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just awesome. That's fun. And my family and I take pictures of that. I was going to say, and we need a photo booth this year. Be no, careful. it's great. No, photo booths are great. I'm not saying anything about <laughs> no, I'm, I'm seeing photo booths and I'm seeing these elaborate like stage decorations and, and incredible messages and creative and all of this. And I, I kid you not, two days later on Tuesday after Easter, I was on Instagram and there was a pastor in Castle Rock who posted um, uh, a pie chart of the, uh, that Barna had put out about Christians that know the Great Commission. And in this, in this pie chart that came out, I think it was something like, and I'm going off the top of my head, something like only like 28% of people knew what the Great Commission had even heard of the Great Commission. And only 12% of Christians could even recite what the Great Commission is. That most people in churches had no idea what the Great Commission was. And the Great Commission that Jesus said, it's his last command to his disciples before he sends into heaven, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And I remember thinking to myself, wait a minute, like, all these churches, like we just had these phenomenal Easter services. We put all this effort in it, but only like 28% of Christians have even heard of the Great Commission. Like that's the mission that Jesus left us with. And sometimes I feel like we've lost some of that. And so I think one of the lessons for us is um, I don't think the problem isn't, uh, you know, that, that we can't gather in a church building anymore, although that is an issue. I think one of the biggest problems is we've done a poor job of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry and equipping people to be disciple makers. And uh, and that's not a that's not a condemnation of a of a particular church like a Stapleton or this or that, but I think that's just the culture of Christianity that we that we find ourselves in. But uh that's one hope I have. You know, I need to be a disciple maker in my home. You know, right now, my kids, we can get online and we can watch all the kids videos that churches are putting out, Lifeway Kids and Right Now Media. All that stuff is great. But if I don't feel equipped to train up my kids in the Lord, then, boy, I think that's that's an opportunity that we that we have as a church that we can really engage in. Okay, so we got a couple more questions that have to do with your message from Sunday. Um, So you talked about withstanding the waves, just told that incredible story of uh, Jesus walking on water, and then of course Peter walking on water, and, and yeah. you mentioned specifically why that wasn't included in Mark, which is really cool insight. Um, I had somebody ask me, so why has God allowed this storm? Um, why this storm that we're going through with coronavirus, with the economy tanking? Well, why this storm? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um, plainly, I don't know. I don't know why why God allows this sort of stuff. Um, why does God allow cancer? Why does God allow leukemia to infect kids? Um, why do people have to lose jobs? Or why is there orphans? Or what? I mean, there's a lot of why questions. And I think, although it's true that God is able to take all things and make them for the good of those who love him, that's absolutely true. I don't think God is a God that makes things like this happen. I know there's some theological things we can wrestle with in our mind, like God hardening Pharaoh's heart when the plagues were, were, were coming on Egypt. I mean, there's some, some really deep theological things that we need to really wrestle with and think about. I think ultimately we understand that God is a God of mystery. and We can't figure everything out about him. Yet at the same time, I also know that death, disease, virus, separation, 
despair. None of that was in God's original design for our world. It was never in design. The, the first time death entered the world is after Adam and Eve has sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God, shame entered the world when they hid. And then to cover up their shame, cover up their nakedness, God put skin around them, skin of an animal, presumably. So he had to, an animal was killed to cover up their sin and their shame. So that was a, a foretelling of, of Jesus. But at the same time, I think there is a reality that sin has entered our world through through Adam and Eve, through, the, through our spiritual grandparents, and yet has infected this world. And it's even gotten, you know, generation after generation, uh, creation is groaning. And I think sin has infected not only our spirits, our souls, infected and interrupted our relationship with God, but it's also infected our bodies. And what I'm not saying is that people that experience pain and cancer and virus, that they have it because they've sinned, um, I'm not saying that, although Jesus does tell people after he heals them, hey, go and don't sin anymore so something worse might happen to you. Again, there's some theological things we got to wrestle with in our mind. But I don't believe that people that experience pain or suffering is because they have specifically sinned. I think it's an effect of the fall. And I think it's an effect of representing that this world is not the way God designed it. This world is not our eternal destiny. That there is going to be a day when Jesus returns and he will restore um, this world the way that it was intended to be. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so um, I view all this pain and this storm like COVID-19 as just one other way that sin has and evil has infected us and infected our world and has caused panic and caused fear. And I know that it's Satan that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come so he might have life and life abundantly. So that's what that's how I would perceive that. Amen. Yeah, amen. That's what I was going to say, too. <laughs> That's so true. 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, final question, because I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, this discussion is great. This is awesome. But, like, what do we want to do? What do? We, how can we experience peace? I, I loved your big idea and your message. I don't know if you're a big idea preacher, but yeah. I would say that it's, uh, yeah, that peace isn't an emotion that we pursue, but a person, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do we actually like really practically experience peace because there's so much uncertainty. There's, there's fear, there's anxiety right now. How, how do we, how do we experience that peace that we so desperately long for? Yeah, I would say there's one, I was just, I was just on a call um, right before this with all of our other chaplains across the country. We get together, we get together a couple of times. Um, well, we get together about once a month and we were talking about, and one of the things, I brought up was I don't want to go back to normal. Like I don't want to go back to how the way things were. I'm really, there's really some things in me that I'm really reflecting on this new pace of life. And I would say the stillness and the quietness. I mean, if we want to experience peace in our soul, we've got to experience peace physically. And so I think one way to experience this peace is to just sit still and and I know that it's different. You know, I'm sitting right now. I'm sitting in a garage. I'm sitting in my third car garage because that's now become my office because we don't have an office in the house. And so the kids are in the living room, my quote unquote office is living room. So we created a space in the third car garage for my wife and I to come and quote unquote work. But I think there's a part of experiencing peace where we just have to sit and sit in silence. And um, I've been u- utilizing an old kind of prayer book, a, a book of common prayer from the Church of England in my devotional. And really it's read a couple Psalms and then there's a lot of like sit silent for five minutes. And it is so hard for me to sit silent for five minutes. Yeah. But I feel like I'm, on one hand, I'm experiencing peace when I'm just sitting still. No music, 
no phone, no Bible, no nothing. I'm just sitting there and eyes closed and just sitting in the presence of God. And so there's a part of me that experiences it there. But then I'm also reminded practically in the words of Paul to the Philippians uh, when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And and I look at that. There's not a lot of formulas in scripture, but this seems like one of them. Like if you if you're anxious, which a lot of us are, many of us are, if not all of us, we're anxious, we're worried, we're concerned, 401ks, investments. House prices, jobs, vocation, relationships, furloughing, all that stuff. Like we're anxious. We're very anxious about what's going to come. What that scripture tells us is we're to pray, but don't just pray, pray, like pray in thankfulness. Because I feel like what it's telling us, like it is impossible to be thankful and anxious at the exact same time. Like mm, you, yeah. it, it, it's impossible. You can't be thankful and anxious or thankful and worried at the exact same time. One or the other is going to occupy your heart. And I think one thing that we could do is we could actively be thankful for what we do have. And when we're thankful for what we do have, we won't be worried about so much about what we might not have or what might happen in the future. Wow, Reza, thank you so much. This is so great. We really appreciate your time, not only delivering an awesome message, but coming back on this podcast to help us bring God into our 10,000 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Well, Pastor Matt, I'm so thankful for your ministry, your, your faithfulness. You and Melissa, so proud of you guys and um, have new newfound love for Stapleton Church. So thanks for what you all are doing in the Stapleton area. Yeah, and and we'll we'll be praying for you uh, in, in, as you adapt as a chaplain, and uh, we're just so grateful. We're going to have to have you come back. We got a great response from our church. Have you come back in person when we are meeting in person again? We'd love that. I'd love to do that. Okay, well, great, Reza. Um, we'll, we'll talk with you later. Have a great rest of your day. Appreciate you guys. Bye-bye. Okay, see ya.